Hello, everyone. This is Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thank you for joining us on our Cultivate podcast. And if you joined us last episode, you know that we are starting a new series on the panorama of the Bible, where essentially we're going to be working our way cover to cover through the Bible in a very fast, short way. I mean, 12 podcasts of about 25 minutes each, and we're going to try to work our way through the big picture story of the entire Bible. That is moving very quickly, and obviously we are just doing an overview here, but essentially what we're doing is putting together a a timeline of the Bible that will help us kind of make sure we understand where all of these different stories fit in. We kind of look at some big picture themes of what it is that God is wanting to communicate to us and kind of how he's dealing with different people at different times. And we kind of understand where the story falls. We understand who the who the main characters are and really just kind of help us as we're looking at individual stories or individual passages of the Bible to make sure we understand, hey, where this fits in, what was going on at the time, why did God make this promise, why did he say this way, what was going on with the people, who was he talking to? And the more we kind of understand this overarching big picture of the story of the Bible, we understand the big picture, it helps us know where all the pieces fit. It's essentially like too often we're reading the Bible and we've got all of these puzzle pieces together, maybe we have can study 10, 15, 20, 30 different puzzle pieces, but we don't understand, we don't have the picture on the box to help us understand kind of what it is that, that's being built here. And so last week we looked at section one, we're going to look at 12 different kind of sections, breaking the, the story of the Bible into 12 sections. And we looked at the prologue and the prologue is Genesis one through 11. And in Genesis one through 11, we have kind of the intro to who God is. a a creative God, a God who owns everything, a generous God who shares his creation with people, the people that he wants to be in relationship with, that he wants to love. But these people are a self-focused, selfish people who rather than having a desire to be in great communion and relationship with God, have a very selfish attitude that, um, they have a very selfish attitude, which turns into a like a, a taking mentality that I'm going to do what I want. I want to do what's in best for me. And so rather than having a God focus, they have a very selfish focus. And we see this kind of as the essential conflict that not only in Genesis 1 through 11, but it's ultimately going to play out through the entire Bible. And we see how God is going to respond to this. We see a God who is gracious with them and patient with them and is desperately trying to restore people, to reconcile people back to him. But we also see a a God who takes sin very seriously and will punish sin accordingly. By the way, he punished Adam and Eve, the way he punished the people in Noah, the way he um, inflicted his will upon the people at the Tower of Babel. And so we get this really, I don't want to, it's not a conflicting, but it's it's a full picture of a God Uh, full of grace and love and compassion and desire for reconciliation, but a God with a serious hatred of sin as well. And so as we have this intro piece to not only Genesis or or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but really an intro to the Bible at large as who God is and his desire to reconcile people, reconcile the world to himself, and ultimately fill the world with devoted worshipers of him. So we start in Genesis 1 through 11 with the with prologue. And in section two, we're going to move to what are referred to as the patriarchs. You know what the word patriarch means? It's kind of the, the, the male head of an extended family. 
And so these patriarchs, which covers the rest of the book of Genesis. So section two is the rest of the book of Genesis. And so these main kind of heads of family that essentially are the founders of the Jewish nation. And so what we have in Genesis 1 through 11, where we just finished with the Tower of Babel, is God tell it, he had, he, had told every, he had told people that I want you to spread all over the world and fill it. He wanted diversity and people and worshipers everywhere, but they were clustering in one spot and had built this monument to themselves. And so now there are multiple different types of people, different languages spread out all over the world. And so now God is in this situation rather than the word the world full of people who are devout worshipers of him. We've just got the world full of a lot of diversity, but not full of the worship. So we've got about, we got half essentially of what God wants, but we are missing the best half. So the the world is full and has diversity and languages and cultures, but he wants these, these diverse languages and cultures. He wants them to be worshiping him. And so what is his plan? What is his strategy? What is he going to do to reconcile all of these individual people and types of people to reconcile them into connected covenant worship relationships with him? So we will see that in the very next thing, right after the, uh, the, the prologue in Genesis 1.11, we get this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, which was Abraham's name um, initially, and God changes his name after he makes this covenant with him later. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so what we have here, and I think one of the best ways to describe this, this is a time when there in the world, there was a lot of tribalism. And a tribalism is that a group of people, uh, an extended family, people, uh, several extended families kind of clusters, they would kind of consider themselves a tribe and every tribe had its own God. And, and so every tribe has a God and you could tell which God was the more powerful God. When these two tribes came into conflict, whichever tribe won was the, had the better God and was the better tribe. And so then they would try to assimilate those people into their tribe because their God was clearly the more powerful God. And we have here a very interesting decision by God, but I think it's a very important one to kind of step into the world as it is. This is the world such as it is. You, you can, we can talk about how tribalism is bad. We can talk about how all of these people are worshiping false gods. People are, they're worshiping people who they, they have imagined. And, God, and, and you think, well, God should have just, just gotten rid of all of that. But instead, what we see here with God is him stepping directly into the situation that the world is. The, these people are very tribal in their thinking and their approach to the way the world works. And so what I'm going to do to show the world who the true capital G God is, the one and only real God, I am going to make my own tribe. He doesn't take over a tribe. He doesn't kind of consume a tribe in some way. I'm going to make my people. 
And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave the tribe that you're a part of. And I want you to go. And I, you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. So essentially what he says here is like, I'm going to show the world hey, you, that God is going to be with you and that your God is the actual capital G God by the way that I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my guy, my people. I'm going to create this great nation, this great people through you. And then ultimately then, because of the overwhelming blessings, people will know. But again, here, what's the purpose? I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so again, this is a different take on what we call tribalism. So God creates and makes his own tribe and their blessing is not in their power. It's not in their might. It's not in their prosperity. Their power is that they are connected to God and their blessing and everything good comes from God. And then when other people um, come in contact with these people, they are going to experience secondhand the blessing of God. And because they experience that blessing, the blessing is meant to spread that ultimately all peoples will not be conquered peoples, but will ultimately be blessed people. And so there is a bit of tribal assimilation there, but it is because a recognition of what being in a covenant relationship with the true God looks like. And so I, I know I've I heard this several times, and I'm sure I thought this my, on my own growing up. It just doesn't seem fair that God would choose his own special people. Why one people get to be the people and somebody else doesn't get to be the people? It was never the purpose for like God to just bless one. He's got, these are my people and everybody is not my people. I'm going to get everyone to be my people by showing the world what it looks like when you are my people. And so he creates, again, he doesn't pick a tribe and says, this is my favorite tribe. He creates a tribe and he shows the world what being in a covenant relationship is, looks like, the amount of blessing that comes from that. And so this is God's ideal. So again, if chapter uh, uh, one, chapters one through 11 of Genesis is the prologue, here we kind of got like the beginning of the, of the story. We see the creation of the Jewish people, and we see in this covenant that God makes with, um, with Abram, we see kind of his purpose statement in doing this. This is God's attempt to reconcile the entire world to him by, by blessing Abram, by creating this people, and ultimately that this blessing will then multiply. Because again, verse 3, Genesis chapter 12, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so what happens in Genesis chapter 12 is that Abram does exactly what God says. He does, he does leave, and he sets out with his wife, his nep nephew Lot, the possessions that they had, and they just start heading to the place that, that God has designated for them. And so the creation of the Jewish people comes from this initial covenant, this initial asking that God gives to, to Abram. You will be my people, and I will make your name great. 
So as we work our way through the rest of the Genesis and we, and, and we get introduced to, um, to Abram, let's kind of see who the other kind of main characters in this kind of the storyline are. So Abram for a long time does not have, um, he does not have kids. His wife, Sarah, is unable to have kids. And God says that I'm going to bless you. You're going you're gonna to be a, a great nation through me. And, and Abram's like, I don't even have any kids. Like, like the, uh, the person who's going to inherit all of this isn't even really related to me. This is not it. And he's like, that, that is not, you, you are going to have a son through Sarah. And we see the impatience that comes from that. And ultimately, Sarah makes, makes the same. He's like, well, I'm not going to be able to have kids. Have a kid through my handmaid which is a terrible idea on Sarah's part and even a worse idea for Abram to agree with and has a son, Ishmael. And so now he has a son, but it's not through Sarah. And, and God's like, this is not, this is not, I didn't tell you to do this. I told you I was going to, you don't, you don't need a plan. I have a plan. I'm going to, I'm going to bless him because he's yours, but this is not the covenant that I'm talking about. Sarah's going to have a son. And she starts laughing when she hears about this. And, and ultimately they, they name their son that they have, you know, when she's almost a hundred years old and has had no kids, is obviously has some physical problems that make her unable unable to have kids. And ultimately, God blesses her where she can have a kid, and they name him Isaac, which is kind of a play on the word laughter. And so we see just the very beginning of this fulfillment of the promise from God that He grants a son to to Abram in their old age, and um. And so now this, he, he, because what God has said to, to Abram is that essentially that your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the, the sand on the seashore, that, that that's how big this blessing is going to be. And so we si- finally see at least the beginning of the fulfillment of that in the birth of their son, Isaac. And again, there's some pretty wild stories that happen here with Isaac and with, 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 with Abraham, ultimately, you know, a few years later, probably when Isaac was, you know, an older elementary age kid, maybe a teenager, um, God says, "Hey, I want you to, I want you to sacrifice Isaac for me." And um, and Ab- Abraham goes goes along with it. And it's like, okay, and and ultimately is goes up to this mountain to perform a sacrifice. And rather than having a goat, um, he was gonna he was gonna kill his son. And and God, the last minute says, "Absolutely not. Do do not do this." But, but thank you for this demonstration of faith and, and, and commitment to me. And ultimately, we see in the New Testament, people are reflecting on this, that we see that this is not just, you know, Abraham, Abraham willing to sacrifice his kid, but it says that it was a demonstration of Abraham believing that God can raise the dead. That's the way that Hebrews describes it, essentially saying that, that Abraham's faith in him was so strong that he knew that one way or the other, he was not going, that, a- that Isaac was not going to die. He says as much to Isaac. Isaac, well, hey, well, don't we need like, a, uh, like an animal or something? He says, God will provide. And even though he went through all of these steps and even to the point where he was willing to do it, but it was because he believed that God would raise him from the dead. We see a demonstration of Abraham's great faith. And we also see a repudiation of something that is very common in a lot of these tribes, these tribalistic worship that you had to sacrifice, you had, you had to sacrifice kids. And so we see Abram, Abraham's willingness to go along with it. But we also see a rebuke of this from God. I will not have you do this. And so, you know, then, you know, Sarah passes, Abraham passes. And then you have with Isaac, now that Isaac is now the patriarch of the family, we see Again, God 
giving uh, this same covenant to, to Isaac. In Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 23, talking about Isaac. From there, when he went up to Beersheba, that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. And so we get this reiteration of this covenant that God made to Abraham. We see it passing on to Isaac and him telling Isaac, hey, I am going to to continue to bless you. And so here's a story that some of us may be familiar with. Isaac had two sons, um, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn and was so uh, covered with hair and was so hairy and it was red hair. It was just, they, they named him red. I mean, it was just like a crazy thing. Like this, the baby, the newborn baby was so hairy. We call him hairy, right? And, and the second son, uh, Jacob, which essentially means deceiver, which they call him kind of a trickster because of the way that he was holding on to uh, Esau's heel on his way out. So they essentially means one who holds on to the heel, which is a a euphemism for being a trickster. So he was named trickster. So he's got these, Isaac, he's got these two sons, Jacob and Esau, and they are, as brothers are, as twin brothers I'm sure are, they are fighting and in conflict all the time. They, uh, the older Esau, he's a hunter and his dad loves him. Uh, uh, Jacob was a bit of a mama's boy. Mama loved him. He hung around the house. And we see this conflict between them. We see their parents kind of getting sucked into it by playing favorites. And ultimately, Esau, as the oldest, supposed to be the one that the blessing and all of this uh, goes down goes to. But through basically some trickery on Jacob's part, some trickery on his mom's part, essentially they steal the blessing from Esau to where now he has it. And in Genesis 28, um, starting in verse 10, we see the story essentially where God does the same thing for Jacob and basically reiterates this Blessing again, verse 13. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord of the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you." So we have this promise, this covenant that God makes to Abraham or Abram, who was known at the time, that he is going to make this great nation out of him to which every nation and all people on the world are going to be blessed. He has a son, Isaac, and God passes this blessing on to him. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the blessing passes then to Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And these 12 sons then become kind of the forerunners for what are considered the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons is a kid named Joseph, who, again, a story that you may be familiar with of, he was a bit of a, he was a bit of a punk. He was younger, younger brother and was awful to his older brothers. He was dad's favorite. And there was just a lot of family conflict and dynamics there to, well, ultimately uh, they thought about killing him, but instead they sold him into slavery and Joseph ends up in Egypt. And through God just kind of orchestrating this and some decisions, some good character decisions made by Joseph at the time, uh, we have, he, ru- he becomes the second in command of Egypt 
during a great famine and because of God prospering him while he was in Egypt, ultimately saves most of the world of the known world at the time around Egypt from a great famine. And then ultimately he is reconciled back to his dad and to his brothers and his brothers and his, and his, um, and his dad come to live in Egypt with him. And so the main idea, the main, the main characters that we need to make sure we understand is we're kind of working our way through this chrono- chronologically. In the first section, in the prologue, we get Adam and Eve, we get, we get Cain and Abel, we get Noah, we get the Tower of Babel. And now as we're working our way through the patriarchs, our main characters here become Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph and the 12 brothers. I guess Joseph and his 11 brothers, to be more precise. And we see the blessing passing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and then through Jacob to his 12 sons. And ultimately, these 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see that, that the, 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 the beginning of this great nation. And a couple of things that we need to make sure that we take note of here as we're trying to process and understand everything that's going on in this particular section. Again, God is creating his own tribe, but it is with the purpose of blessing the whole world. They are God's chosen people. As always, you say, he's cho- chosen people, he's chosen people, but chose, chosen not just simply to bless, but to be a blessing so that, again, that the whole world could be full of worshipers. So that's important. Second thing you want, I want you to note is, unlike a lot of stories that we, or movies, TV shows that we like, the, like the main character, the good guys here do a lot of dumb things. We, we see Abraham lying that his wife is his sister. We see Isaac doing the same thing with his wife and their wives get in these very compromising situations where they get dragged into harems. Jacob lies and deceives his whole life and steals things from his older brother. Joseph and his brothers, I mean, they, I mean, like they wanted to kill him and, and ultimately Joseph was a punk. And I mean, it was just, it was just a lot. And the great thing I love about this is the people who were the first people to read this, which would be the people who were coming out of Egypt, which we'll talk about them in the next section. These are, these are the founders. These are the patriarchs. These are the, the most important people in their history. And we have an honest telling of who they were. And that's an, a theme that we're going to see all throughout the scripture. The greatest people in the scripture who, who are kind of the, the heroes of the Old Testament did a lot of really dumb things. They weren't these perfect idealistic people. I love the movie Braveheart. I love the movie Gladiator. But both of those things, they're based on these characters who essentially are perfect in every way, which is, which is fine for a story. And they're fun and they're great. And the, and the fight scenes are great and inspirational speeches and all those cool things. But as far as being relatable, they're not relatable because I'll never be that, I'll never be that perfect. But God using the imperfections of these people should be, was inspiring to the people who were experiencing these stories for the first time as they're hearing about them, as God is reforming the nation after the Exodus and should be really encouraging to us now. And there's also a bit of foreshadowing here. And we see this at different parts in this story where there'll be a famine, there'll be a crisis and one of the patriarchs will look to Egypt for help. And this becomes a metaphor. When there's a problem, where do I look? Do I look to God or do I look to Egypt? And Egypt really becomes to kind of represent like the opposite of God. It was just kind of like, 
a culture of taking, a culture of selfishness, all the things we saw in the prologue, all these problems that they struggle with, Egypt kind of becomes a metaphor for that. And so we'll find the patriarchs getting in trouble and as doing such, rather than trusting in God, living in the land that he's called them to live and to trust in the promises that God has, they look to their solutions for Egypt. They look, they look elsewhere. And so we will see this as a metaphor here. We'll see it especially as we get into, especially as we get into the story of the Exodus and story of Moses. But we'll see versions of this all throughout the Old Testament. When trouble comes, when the uncertainty of, of this world happens, where do I look? Am I looking to God? Or am I looking to these kind of human kingdoms full of selfishness and greed and take and power? Do I look that to do I look there for my help? And so the fact that this story ends with the entire family moving out of the promised land that God has given them to live in the land of Egypt, to be cared for and overseen by Egypt, should really be a bit of uh-oh foreshadowing and where the story is about to go. And we will cover that in the next section. And so I encourage you to continue to join with us. I encourage you to go back to listen to last week if you didn't, where we talked about the prologue, Genesis 1 through 11. We're talking about the patriarchs today, which covers the rest of Genesis. We've got 10 more episodes of this. I encourage you to keep coming back as we're kind of getting this big picture of the story of the Bible. And as always, we would love to connect with you on Sundays. We would love to get to know you and meet you if you can. So if you're in Northwest Arkansas, go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Get your information on the whens and wheres of our service. And if you're not, you can't join us there. We'd love to see you online. We're always streaming our 1030 service and you can join us online. Either way, we'd love to connect with you, help you any way we can. You go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect and let us know um, how we can help you. And again, I'm Charlie Lofton, lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thanks for joining us on our Cultivate podcast.